Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is Carolyn Nichols, who is an Alexander Technique teacher in Brighton, England. She's been teaching the technique for about 30 years, uh, and in addition to her private practice, she runs an Alexander Technique teaching teacher training program in Brighton. Uh, she is uh, the author of a couple of books on the Alexander Technique, one in particular that we uh, was, is particularly useful to mention here. It's called Body, Breath, and Being, A New Guide to the Alexander Technique. Uh, uh, and we're going to talk today about the general topic of breathing and the Alexander Technique. Carolyn, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's very nice to be with you. It's good to talk to you. Um, I wonder if you could start by giving our listeners a short description of the Alexander Technique. I think I can. I think um, what I'd like to say is um, the Alexander Technique is about the flexible, adaptable nervous system that we have and about our mental life. It's about our bodies in movement and at rest and how we think and feel. So I guess that's what it's about. Yeah, and of course, breathing uh, certainly involves movement. It does indeed. Breathing is an act. It is an act, and it's actually, uh, a, for, for people who are not familiar with anatomy and anatomical functioning, certainly as I was before I ever trained to be an Alexander teacher, it's a remarkably uh, complicated act, or well, maybe not complicated, but it's certainly, to do it well, requires some very interesting coordination between uh, your ribs, which I think most people know move uh, with breathing, and your diaphragm, and possibly a few other things, depending on who you're talking to. And they all have to be coordinated well in order for your breathing to be efficient. That's absolutely right. And, and the key thing that Alexander Technique has to offer people in relation to their breathing is that breathing is intimately connected with the way that you use your body. So, for example, if someone comes to me for an Alexander lesson and the reason is they want some help with their breathing, they're often very surprised that I'm not going to start straight away talking about their breathing. I'm going to be talking about their neck and I'm going to be putting my hands on their neck and helping them to recognize that what's going on in their neck and this area of their neck and the way that they have their head balanced on top of that neck actually has a profound influence on what the ribs are doing and therefore how well or not the breathing is working. Mm -hmm. I, I, I would take that one step further in that the, what the state of a person's neck, as it were, has a pretty profound influence on everything in their oh, body. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but, of course, rib movement being being perhaps one of the more obvious ones that people might notice at the beginning. I'm sure you've had the experience of a new working with a new student, putting your hands on their neck, encouraging a little release 
in that area and suddenly the student is taking a, a, a breath unlike any they've had in recent years and being kind of amazed by it. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's. I think that's something most Alexander teachers have ex, have experienced, and I think we should say here that the reason why Alexander teachers are so drawn to people's necks is uh, that that basically, if you think about your head being perched up at the top of your spine, it weighs a fair amount, 10 to 12 pounds, and how that weight is managed has huge implications for the rest of your body. And if it's not balanced there, if it's being held in some way, which is often the case, unfortunately, all sorts of compensations have to take place right down to your feet to manage that. And so... I, I think pretty much anyone who comes for an Alexander lesson is going to find a teacher's hands on their neck uh, very gently, not strangling, but a very gentle guiding touch uh, pretty early on in the lesson because oh, that's absolutely. that's kind of a, a a key intervention point. Yeah, it, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, the other area that interests me in relation to breathing is the lumbar area. Mm-hmm. Now you think about it, your neck and your lumbar area are the two bits of your spine that actually don't have the ribs on. Mm-hmm. If, you, if okay. you're with me, your ribs yep. are much more in the, in the center. Right. And they're more flexible areas. And therefore, the more flexible an area, in my observation, the easier it is to misuse it. Mm-hmm. And I've had a lot of pupils that have what I like to call a sullen rib cage, where the rib cage stays the same shape on the in-breath and the out-breath, and it just kind of lifts forward as the back arches on the in-breath and rocks back again and pushes as they breathe out. So it moves up and down in a sullen lump. And inevitably, what they find so amazing is that This movement that they're probably quite unaware of is accompanied by and maybe even caused by an incredible shortening through the whole of the spine. And when they start to work with the tangle of, of, hey, I'm shortening because I've stiffened these muscles in my neck and I've, I've disturbed that delicate balance of the head that we were just talking about. So I've created some kind of very unhelpful pressure right down through my back and that has actually caused my ribs to lock up. And when I stop doing that, when I stop creating that pressure and my back starts to lengthen as it should do, wow, lo and behold, the ribs have got a little bit of a chance to regain a freedom, to regain a movement. Well, I I think that um, most people... uh, have no idea, well, I, speaking for myself, again, before taking Alexander lessons, I think a lot of people are quite shocked to learn that their ribs actually uh, attach to their, to little, just off their spine, basically, to little mm-hmm. facets on their spine, mm-hmm. that there are little joints. Each rib has uh, has a couple of little joints that allow movement that are on not exactly on the spinal column, but certainly 
very mm. much attached to it, and that any um, any tightening, any kind of overall tightening of your spine is going to cause your ribs to not have the mobility they're designed to have. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely right. And of course, if you've got a pupil who has got um, a considerable distortion of their spine, maybe they've got a scoliosis that uh, they were born with or mm-hmm. they've had some disease that's affected the the bones in some way and caused a scoliosis, then inevitably that impacts quite severely on their breathing. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's very interesting, I think, about breathing is we are incredibly adaptable creatures. So if you can't or you don't use your rib cage flexibly to breathe, then you've got all this soft, squishy stuff in your abdomen that will quite obligingly move in and out for you. But unfortunately, if you're just breathing in such a way that the rib cage doesn't move and the abdomen does, what tends to happen is the abdominal contents get more and more squashed so you get your indigestions and all of those complications and it gets harder and harder for the ribs to move and then you're going to tend to mouth breathe because you can get air in much more easily through your mouth than through your nose and that makes your whole respiratory system and your postural system really lazy Mm-hmm. And when it gets lazy, then you start getting other problems. If you breathe through your mouth instead of your nose as a habit all the time, where well, the air isn't warmed up properly going into your lungs, it's not filtered properly, you know, it, it, it's sort of a whole mass of things that you can change to your benefit when you get the basic use working well for you so that things are moving easily in your ribs. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you say that, uh, I think you use the term ribs getting lazy, I believe. I mean, basically, if they're not moving, if if for a prolonged period of time, there's very little movement going on, uh, it, it takes a little while even with Alexander lessons to get those joints moving again because there's, you know, you're, you've developed strong habits around not moving them and then suddenly someone comes along and says, oh, well, here, maybe we could uh, free up your spine a little, but it's not going to necessarily be an instant fix. It's going to take a little while. Oh, I agree I think, with that. I think that's, you know, we, I mean, a student may notice their breathing changing pretty dramatically during a lesson, but then they might come back in a couple of days and say, hey, it seems to be back where it was. Mm-hmm. And you have to kind of tell them it's not an instant fix, especially if they've been engaging in the kind of patterns you're talking about for years and years. It may take a few weeks or a few months to to undo that. I, 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 wanted to just mention in, um, that uh, your your um, teacher, your training course director, uh, Walter Carrington, mm-hmm. uh, many years ago, and someone that I had le- quite a few lessons with, I, I remember him once saying to me uh, during a lesson uh, something to the effect, well, he said, if if a student's breathing is, is uh, 
is nice and free, you can be pretty sure that there's uh, that or is becoming freer. You can be pretty sure their overall use pattern is becoming freer as well. He drew that kind of uh, as a as kind of for a new student, especially a new teacher rather, that was a pretty good indication that you were on the right track. If someone's breathing was getting better, certainly you could be pretty sure their overall use and functioning was getting better too. And, and I did think he that say re- that when he, sorry, yeah. Rob, I interrupted you, carry on. Well, just that, that I think that relates to the, the kind of things you were, you were talking about before. He said that to me as I, I was a, a training to be an Alexander teacher and having uh, lessons with him. Yes, well, that's really interesting because um, Walter was, of course, an absolute master of what I've learned to call the first person once removed. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is he was very keen not to overexcite your nervous system when he worked on you. Mm-hmm. So he would often say when he was, he'd have his hands on you, he's working on you, and he'd say things like, in our work, what we find is the ribs tend to be stiff. And you'd nod and you'd go, oh, yes, Walter, yeah. I agree. And he'd talk about how in our work we liked to free the ribs and, and so on. And you'd go, yes, yes. And then afterwards you'd think, he was talking about me. Yes. He was yes. talking about my ribs. Yes, he was the master of He, he, was. he was the master of that. Um I don't think we can leave our conversation uh about breathing without talking about the role of the diaphragm. No. Do you want to say a, a a few words about that and how the Alexander technique uh relates to that because in fact um I don't know the exact numbers, but a pretty high proportion of the total um, changing of size of your uh, your breathing, your, your lung capacity has to do, and that's not the right word, but the, 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 the opening and closing uh-huh. of that where the air comes in and the air comes out, an awful lot of that is the diaphragm. Absolutely. And I would imagine in in your experience and certainly in mine, very few people have any idea where it is or what it does. And um, there are all kinds of strange theories about it, which uh, things like, well, I'm going to do some diaphragmatic breathing, Breathing. for example. Yeah. Yeah. And as one uh, Alexander te- uh, technique teacher I interviewed some time ago, now she w- we were talking about musicians and the Alexander technique, and she she made the point that musicians in, in j- most musicians have absolutely no idea uh, of ac- any kind of accurate uh, body mapping of themselves. She said, well, except for singers who have very, very well-defined ideas that are almost always wrong. <laughs> and I thought that was a pretty telling comment. So do you want to say a word about the diaphragm and its role in breathing and how Alexander lessons yes, can be helpful yes, for I that? Um, I think it's quite nice to think about how a jellyfish moves. Most people have seen videos or films, uh, nature films of a jellyfish, how it sort of undulates through the water. Mm -hmm. And that's quite a nice sort of image to think of with the diaphragm because uh, 
even when people have got the idea that it actually moves up and down, which is a good start because uh, some people don't even realize that the diaphragm moves. They think it's just one solid thing. Uh, but once they've got hold of that idea that, yeah, it does move up and down, it isn't as simple as the whole thing moving up and then the whole thing moving down. It has this kind of rhythmic pulsing movement. Mm-hmm. And um, in so doing, it's changing the the pressures uh, in between your abdominal cavity and your thoracic cavity. And I think maybe the most useful thing for people to know is it's it's kind of stitched onto your rib cage at the front. Mm-hmm. And it's attached to the inside of your lumbar spine at the back. So what you're doing with your back and mm-hmm. your ribs is really, really going to have a profound effect upon the diaphragm. So if your body use is poor, your posture is poor, you're going to make it much harder for your poor old diaphragm to move freely. And that's really something we want, freedom of movement for the diaphragm to move up, move down, and and have this flexible pulsing movement as it needs to, to adjust to whatever breath you're doing. As I speak to you, for example, I'm taking in different lengths of breath according to how long my sentence is going to be. And I don't have to decide that in advance. I just want, I know what I want to say, and then my diaphragm's going to respond to that demand that I've put upon it. And the reason it can respond freely is because I'm paying attention to keeping a sense of release in my neck so that my whole body use isn't squashing my diaphragm and making it stiff. When your diaphragm gets into the habit of being stiff, you've got trouble. Yeah, and it's interesting. I I, I think that's a very nice way of putting it. You want your your diaphragm to be very responsive to what's going on at the moment. And the thing about the diaphragm is that it is a pretty, uh, pretty strong muscle. And it, one way that you can abuse it, and um, you've probably seen this a lot, and I've certainly seen it, is it can be... Um, it can be called into service, as you like, as a postural muscle. That is, you can start to rely on it for for maintaining your upright stance, which is not yeah. a very good idea. I no. mean, it, it's strong and it's capable of that to a certain extent, but that would be a, a really oh. classic example of using a muscle for something it's not designed for and compromising the task that it is designed for, which, of course, is is breathing. And Alexander talks about that, the recruitment of inappropriate muscles. So Mm -hmm. clearly in his book, Constructive Conscious Control of the Individual, Mm -hmm. uh, which I was reading to the training course today, he talks about this really clearly. If you're using your body inappropriately, then some muscles are going to be doing work that they're not really designed for. And if you're not letting your diaphragm move freely and you're using it to hold yourself up, then really you're, you're stacking up problems for yourself. Right. You may, you, you may manage to um, um, 
exist in the world for a while, but uh, at a huge cost to um, to your your overall uh, functioning. Um, is, is there anything else that you would like to say about the technique and breathing before we come to an end? Yes. Um, breathing isn't something that you can stop in order to practice it and get it right. You can't, for instance, decide, oh, I will practice just breathing out because you have to breathe in and out. Mm-hmm. And so the Alexander technique and particularly the Alexander technique practice of what you might call semi-supine or active rest, lying down mm-hmm. on your back in the, in the way that we teach people, is a really good way of coming to understand that your breathing and your body use are really hand in hand and you can improve your breathing by lying down on your back intelligently. Yeah, and uh, I mean, um, uh, among many reasons why Alexander Constructive Rest is so useful is that it does give you some direct feedback of the movement of your ribs. Uh, the, the back, The back of your, you're lying usually on a fairly firm surface and um if not, if there was no other benefit to constructive rest than gaining some, I guess you could call it back awareness, that would make it pretty worthwhile in itself. And Absolutely. you you become very you can become very sensitive, as you say, to the connection between that movement of your ribs, which you can feel, I think, more easily in that situation, and how you're uh, using the Alexander technique to direct yourself. So it is an extremely powerful process. And I guess the other thing to say about lying down and breathing is that since you're not doing anything else besides being there, or you might be doing a tiny bit, depending on what version of lying down you're we're talking about, but you're basically taking away pretty much everything else so that mm. breathing is now really easily observable when it's maybe not so much when you're walking around or driving your car or doing mm. daily activities. So that's a, that's a very useful aspect of it as well. Actually, I think by this interview, we should put a link to a page about uh, a whole web page devoted to Alexander Constructive Rest because that is an incredibly powerful self-help uh, tool. So, Absolutely. So maybe this is a, a good place to end our conversation, if that's okay with you. Mm-hmm. Um, my my guest today has been Carolyn Nichols, who's an Alexander Technique teacher and tr- Alexander Technique teacher training uh, director in Brighton, England. If anything we've been talking about intrigues you, uh, we'll put a link to her site by the interview. Uh, I'll put a link to um, uh, a page about constructive rest that we've just talked about. And I'll also put a link to a site where you can find a teacher anywhere else in the world and um, uh, learn more about the Alexander Technique. Carolyn, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me.